So good morning, still morning, only 11.30, things are moving along nice, nice and quickly. Um, yes, I just want to say one thing about the men's retreat. I was there yesterday. Uh, it was very encouraging to me. Um, we, we had, you know, a lot of time for rest, which is nice. Um, towards the end, I wanted to stay, I stayed after dinner. Uh, Dre gave an amazing talk, and then Anthony came up and uh, gave a, a real powerful testimony. Um, just kept referring to when he came to Christ and this fresh air that he kept smelling, this fresh breeze that kept coming um, upon him as he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He kept referring to the fresh breeze of the Holy Spirit. It's a great image, and it, it kind of stuck with me. And then they kept, in, they, they kept uh, got all kinds of guitar picks up here. Um, they kept talking about uh, Pete Carter and how he's really been a father to them. And that was just encouraging, just all the, the, the people that the Carters have served. Uh, it, just, it was really, really a great time of encouragement. I know they're worshiping the Lord even as we speak. So, yeah, I just wanted to give that quick report. A question for you as we begin to uh, prepare our hearts to hear the, the word of the Lord. So are you curious and expectant to see how God will speak to you today through his word in Acts? Are you curious? You know, if, if you're like me, it's just it's very easy to get into this moment where we start thinking of something else, right? The brain always seems to want to be either in the past or the future, and yet Jesus wants to be in this moment. And I'm always confident that if we're expectant that God's going to talk to us through his word, I think he will do that. So I'm going to pray that we will just have a real curiosity about what he's going to speak to our hearts today, okay? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are curious about what you will do in this moment. We know a lot of the men are at the retreat. It's a a more intimate setting, less people here today. But that's what you have prepared for us. I I like it. It just feels very intimate to me right now. Thank you that you are an intimate God, that you desire to speak to each one of our hearts. I don't know what's going through all the hearts of the people here today. I don't know if their brain is in a thousand places, their mind may be on suffering, their mind, maybe they're feeling very hopeful and encouraged today. But the great truth is you know each heart present today. You know each person and what they're dealing with. And my prayer is that you would speak to each of us today. So use me, Lord. Use me. Empower me with your Holy Spirit. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we begin a new sermon series in the book of Acts. We will be studying Acts chapters 1 through 9. We will be doing that throughout the spring and summer. Today I will be reading verses 1 through 14. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 1 uh, or your devices, your Bible devices, Bible apps, turn uh, to Acts chapter 1. Before I read a couple of things about the book of Acts, the author of the book of Acts is Luke. Many of us know that. Luke is the same, this is the same Luke who penned the Gospel of Luke. So Acts is a part of a two-volume set of one complete work that we know as Luke-Acts. 
It's written to a man named Theophilus. Luke wants to write to him about the works of Jesus Christ, uh, about his death and resurrection. And now in Acts, what happens after Jesus goes to be in glory? Luke was a doctor by trade. He also was a travel companion with the Apostle Paul during his missionary trips. So Luke had a front row seat to see God in action, spreading his kingdom through Jerusalem and then through the, the ends of the earth. You know, we often call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles, uh, but it would probably be better to call it the Acts of Jesus. The Acts of Jesus spreading his kingdom to all nations through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's uh, turn now to Acts, hear the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Thephalophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he said, behold, two men, he he went... Gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who who was taken up into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The word of the Lord. So what we're seeing here today is Jesus' final days on earth. This will be the last time that his disciples, now called apostles, would see him until their own death. Right off the bat, what I want us to see is that Jesus presented himself alive, the scripture says, by many proofs. We as Christians, we live by faith, but evidence is necessary, right? Proof is necessary. We do not live by blind faith. You know, I'm constantly hearing atheists or unbelieving scientists make it seem like Christians, we only live by faith, which in their mind is make-believe. That's not true. The other thing is that they always seem to be very confident that they are the ones that live by proof, that they are the ones that live by evidence. But Scripture says that Jesus presented himself by proofs, 
The NIV translation says that he presented himself convincingly with convincing proofs that he was alive. There were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, and the accounts of those eyewitnesses were recorded in Scripture, evidence that Jesus was alive. Now, Luke did not see, he was not an eyewitness, but he interviewed eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he recorded that in the book of Luke and in Acts. Jesus presented himself alive. The church is alive because Jesus is alive. Are we living each day with a sense that Jesus is alive? Is that how you live your life? Is that how I live my life? Jesus presented himself alive to his disciples. What does that say to the anxieties and fears that we encounter each and every day on a regular basis? Jesus presenting himself alive, bursting from the grave. What does that say about how we arrange the priorities of our day? Jesus presented himself alive, showing his nail-pierced hands and nail-pierced feet, scar where the spear pierced his side. He presented that himself that way to his disciples, especially to doubting Thomas. What does this say to us as we begin our transition as a church from one pastor to another? If someone were to look at our lives, would they see Jesus? And more importantly, would they see proof that Jesus was alive? Now, this is how God spoke to me right off the bat. I am just often way too focused upon myself often not living the daily reality that Jesus is alive. So what did God do to get my attention? He brought suffering into my life. He brought suffering into my family's life. Why? Well, for all kinds of reasons, some of which we're still searching out. But one is, I think that he was preparing me for this moment. I think he was preparing me for this moment where I'll have to fill in the gap of leadership until our next pastor arrives. You know, as I was kind of thinking, it seems like in my life, I turn this way, there's suffering. I turn this way, there's suffering. I say, Lord, will you relieve me and my family from this suffering? And the moment I pray that prayer, something else happened in that moment. So it It's clear that Jesus is allowing this suffering in my life. It's clear that he's allowing this suffering in my family's life. Well, why? I mentioned one reason. But another reason is he, he gave me, right in the midst of really pain and deep suffering, the Lord gave me Isaiah 30, 13, which says this, Therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. What suffering revealed in my life is the crack in my foundation. What suffering has revealed in my life is the very area where I am not depending on Jesus Christ. The very area where I'm not allowing his aliveness 
to come into my life and totally affect who I am as a person, as a pastor, as a father, as a friend. So I've learned to thank God for the suffering. It doesn't make it any easier. I want it to be gone. I still pray, Lord, please take this away. But he's, he's doing something very important in my life. I think it's important for all of us to remember that as we go. We all go through our sufferings, don't we? What he's showing us in those kind of moments is he is alive. He's showing us how to depend on his power. It's the nature of our flesh to depend on ourselves. It's the nature of our flesh to be independent of God. And God loves us way too much to allow that in our lives. This scripture says, therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall. What breach, what crack in the foundation did Jesus show me? Well, when you're a preacher, you're always a little, you never know what the Lord's going to give you on the, the week that you're preaching. Oftentimes, many challenges come forward. But what, there were two things that happened to me this week as I was thinking about the sermon, thinking about Acts 1, and Jesus being alive in my life, uh, being alive in this church. A friend of mine from this church, a man came up to me and he said, can, can, um, I, I thank you, you've been really honest with me, Tim. Can I be honest with you? Uh-oh. <laughs> how do you feel about those moments? <laughs> Sarah's shaking her head. That's how I, Sarah, that's how I feel about those moments too. Uh, I said, sure, you can, I want you to be honest with me. He says, you know, a lot of times I feel like you're just kind of putting up with me. I didn't feel that way. I don't, I don't feel that way about this particular person. But whatever I'm doing has given him, that's how it impacts his life. So I thought, I just had been pondering that for a while. I was very convicted by that. And I was listening to a podcast from a guy named Michael Hyatt. He's a Christian businessman. I listened to this podcast. Um, and he was talking about being a good leader. And he said, I had, I had one of my leaders come up to me one time. And he said, Michael, you need to work on your face. I knew exactly what he meant. Michael Hyatt is similar to me. When he, he's in deep thought, he just looks like he's angry all the time. I am always in my head. And I know for a fact that I often look angry. In the last couple of weeks, people have been coming up to me on a regular basis saying, Tim, are you okay? I'm like, what are you talking about? My face is revealing something. The scary part is that the face reveals a lot about your heart. So what is it revealing about my heart? It's revealing that I'm caught up in anxieties. I'm caught up in sufferings. I'm caught up in myself. I've turned in upon myself to the point where I gave the impression to somebody else that I was just putting up with them. And then to top it off, my wife Amy said, I wonder if other people in the church feel this way. Thank you, Amy. It's great to have such a loving and kind wife. Uh, but she was being kind. It, if you feel that way in my presence, I want to know about it. Because one of the things that the Lord has showed me clearly through this scripture is Jesus has to be alive in me as your leader. And I have to portray that. I have to portray that, you know, that power and that love, that compassion. But that can only come from Jesus. And he has to break this man. He has to break this man, this woman, this child, right? Not because he 
not because he's being mean. He's showing us the cracks in our foundation because he, people, he, he wants us to show that Jesus presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. That's what people should see when they look at us. They shouldn't see what they see in me. Are you angry with me? Or do I, are you just putting up with me? They should see a smile on my face. Not all the time. Life is a challenge. So this is what the Lord revealed to me. And I praise God for the reality that Jesus presented himself alive. He is alive today just as he was alive in this moment. He is alive in your life. See what he's doing. Any challenge that he may be bringing to your life, see what he is doing. And what may be cracked that he's revealing in the foundation of your life. And then he reveals the kingdom of God. Jesus spends 40 more days with his disciples, and he talks about the kingdom of God. The number 40 is significant. Luke is reminding us of the 40 years that Israel wandered in the desert. The apostles are the new Jerusalem. They are the new Jerusalem established by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As God, through the pillar of fire, was present with Israel in the desert, so now he is present with his disciples in the person of Jesus Christ. I don't know all the things that Jesus said to his disciples, but I'm assuming it's some of the similar things that he said before his death about the kingdom of God. Things like the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's just this little small thing, but one day it's going to be this great tree. Maybe that the kingdom is not of this world, as he made clear to Pontius Pilate during his trial. Or maybe he was reminding the disciples of, that the kingdom is the pearl of great price, so precious that one should sell everything they have to possess it. Regardless of what Jesus was saying about the kingdom, notice the response of the disciples to his words about the kingdom and his fellowship with them. Notice in verse 6, they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? I find their response to Jesus terribly convicting. They still don't get it. After three years with Jesus, another 40 days with Jesus, after his resurrection... They're still living in the past, still leaning on their own understanding of the kingdom, still focused on the earthly kingdom of Israel instead of the kingdom of heaven. I don't want to be too hard on them. The spirit has not come upon them yet, but I find that convicting, don't you? Aren't we so much like the disciples? It's really convicting because we do have the spirit of God in us. It's just too easy for us not to hear what God is saying about his kingdom. It's just too easy for us to focus on our own thoughts, our own perspective. God, please give us your perspective on things, your perspective on the kingdom. Jesus doesn't rebuke. He just simply reminds them that's not for them to know the times or the seasons in which God will restore all things. That's his business, not theirs. It's his business. It's not ours. And with that, Jesus is lifted up in the clouds and taken from their sight. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Daniel 7. In that chapter, it's a glorious couple of verses. In that chapter, Daniel says these words. I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, that there came one like the Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. Wow. Say it with me. Wow. I know. Is that how we feel about the kingdom of God? That's how I feel sometimes. I just feel that it's an everlasting dominion in your life, which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Yes, yes, wow, wow. I know how it is. Life tends to beat us down. We tend to have all these worries. But in this moment, Jesus is alive. He is in our presence. Wow. Luke, in the book of Acts, records the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel. The moment that Jesus is enthroned in heaven, Jesus, perfect in his obedience as the Son of God, who by that obedience has presented as the holy sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the unblemished one who was stained by our transgressions shredded by our sins on the cross, the lowly one who was put into a grave there to die, overwhelmed by the death that we were meant to die, and three days later bursting from the grave and presenting himself alive to his disciples, the newly ordained apostles of his messianic kingdom. He presented himself alive. If Jesus Christ is not alive in this moment, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But we don't die because Jesus is alive. When people look at our lives, can they see that Jesus is alive? I hope so. I hope that's what they see for me. This Jesus... This resurrected one now takes his rightful place at the right hand of the Ancient of Days. He is our king. He is our champion. He is our Lord and Savior for whatever is happening in our lives, both good and bad. Wow. Amy and I were driving on Friday through, through the Lawndale community, and she, she, she nudged me and she said, look, School. There was a school. We we're going close to a school, elementary school, and they were, they were getting out early. I bet you it was report card day or something like that. And there was a girl just skipping home, completely oblivious to anybody else, skipping home in joy. That is the perfect picture for us. We should be skipping all the time because Jesus is alive. We should never walk another day in our lives. We should be skipping for joy all the time. And I was thankful for just a little reminder on a week that I was preaching to skip, to shout for joy, to be a fool for Christ. He is alive. He is alive. The last thing that Jesus says to his disciples before he is taken away is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit, the life-giving power of our Lord, I will preach, I'm preaching next week as well, I will preach more extensively about the Holy Spirit. For now, I just want to notice, all of us to notice, that the Holy Spirit is described in chapter 1 of Acts as the promise of the Father. 
I never want us to stray too far from the heart of our Heavenly Father. This promise given to the disciples is a reminder that we have a Heavenly Father who is wildly in love with us. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, now the presence of the Spirit, the Father's compassion is on full display. I found a great quote online from a pastor who describes the Holy Spirit as the Father's love poured into our hearts. It's a great quote. The Old Testament envisioned this new temple in the Messianic kingdom that would be filled with God's presence. This is the prophetic hope of books in the Old Testament like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel. The the Holy Spirit is the presence of God on earth, empowering the apostles to be witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. They are witnesses to the unbelievable truth that the God of the universe loves us with an undying love. More on that next week, so stay tuned. So Jesus enters into heaven. He takes his rightful place on the throne of God to the right of the Ancient of Days, and the apostles return to Jerusalem. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, they devoted themselves to prayer. The Greek word translated devoted is pros parterio. It's made up of two Greek words. The first one is pros, which means toward. The second Greek word is katerio, which means to be steadfast. I love steadfast. It's always been one of my favorite words. The idea is they they are moved towards steadfastness in prayer. The disciples from that moment in time stood firm in prayer. They were fixed in place, prayerfully waiting for their Lord to come and for the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's just a great picture for all of us to be steadfast in prayer, especially in in these kind of times, especially in our transition. John is retired. We're waiting for a new pastor to come. During this transition, let us be steadfast in our prayer. But it begs the question, how's your prayer life? It begs the question, how's our prayer life as a church? And one of the things I've heard over the course of 20-plus years is a lot of us struggle in our prayer lives. It's okay. I've struggled in my prayer life. The simple advice that I have for all of us is if you're struggling in your prayer life or maybe we're struggling as a congregation, let's pray to God about our prayer lives. Let's simply just talk to God about our prayer lives. Lord, I'm struggling in my prayer. Can you help me to have a better prayer life? Can you help me to, be, to have intimacy in prayer with you? I think it's as simple as that. And then we wait in steadfast prayer upon the Lord. We wait for him to change our prayer lives. Because he's the only one who can do it, right? That's what I, in 2014, the Lord, I just had this notion of the Lord that's saying, Tim, it's time for you to get serious about your prayer life. I'm like, I don't know how to do it. The Lord's like, don't worry about it. I got it covered. And then he led me to Tim Keller's book on prayer. He led me to St. Ignatius' prayer, which I call his morning prayer. He led me to Luther's Abba prayer. He just, he just led it. He's our Father in heaven. Sometimes I think we make these things too complicated, but for now, let's make it simple. If you struggle in prayer, if we struggle in prayer... Let's just say, Lord, help us in prayer. 
And then let's be curious and expectant to see how he will answer that prayer, the desire of our heart to be steadfast in prayer. And so in the rest of, rest of chapter 1, the disciples now called the apostles choose to replace Judas. They need 12. The 12 apostles represent the 12 tribes of Israel, so the number 12 is hugely significant. Verses 24 through 26 of chapter 1 of Acts. It says this, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And so the twelve are restored. And so they wait in Jerusalem for the promise Holy Spirit. And we wait right along with them. More next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful news that you presented yourselves, you, you presented yourself alive to the disciples, now called apostles. There were eyewitnesses that saw you. Doubting Thomas, he, he put his hands in your side. He saw the holes in your hands and feet. Convincing proof that you were alive then, you're alive now. I pray that that kind of convincing proof would make its way right into our hearts today. Speak to us, Lord. We want to live like Jesus is alive. We know you are. Empower us with that aliveness. That people would see it. I pray they would see it on, in me. I pray that they would see it on my face instead of something else like anxiety or the fears I face. For that to happen, Lord, it has to be you. You have to touch our hearts. We can't work hard enough to make this happen. So we simply ask for your grace to see Jesus alive one more time, to see you on the, in your throne, on your throne, to the right hand of the Ancient of Days, and we know you're coming back. Come back to us, Lord. Come back quickly. Until then, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with the knowledge that you are wildly in love with us as our Heavenly Father. Touch us, show this where there may be any cracks in the foundation of our lives, where we're relying on something other than Jesus Christ. Just bring us peace. And so we're just curious about how you'll answer even that prayer and expectant that you'll do great things in our lives. And throughout this city, throughout this community of Alni, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.